He's James Collins. He is Alec Cranston. And this is the Matter Matter of Facts Podcast. The Matter of Facts Podcast brings you the unsung heroes, the unsung stories, news and happenings from across our wonderful city that you maybe thought happened but didn't quite know the truth behind. And get you all in the loop on what's going on, what's to come, and what can we be prepared for. Welcome to Matter of Facts, Season 2, Episode 4. I'm here with my esteemed co-host, Mr. James Collins. Oh, and here's the ever-sexy Mr. Alec Cranston. It's it's so nice to hear from you. I appreciate that. I like to tell you that at least once a day, as you know, by text message or phone call. Or voice note. Or voice note, just like Alec, remember... You're sexy. It gets me through the day. I'm it gets me through the day. No one sends me that. I just get hate mail. Oh, I know. I'm sorry about that. I gotta get. Ma- ma- I gotta put ma- you. Ma- mails your, hate me. I gotta put you in your place. <laughs> ah, that's Ooh. good. There's a lot of different ways you can go there. There is. So we're here, episode four, James. I feel like it's it's been a little while, not too long, but we're busy, living busy lives. Work is busy. busy. Time of year. Isn't Very it? busy time of year. What do we call it? The 90 day sprint. This is the yeah the 90 day full sprint where all hell breaks loose in the world of commercial real estate between September and December, and then you mentally and physically burnout or if you do mm. what I did last year which is 100% true the day you finish work for Christmas you are carrying the top of a desk down the side of your house you slip on some moss it goes flying you bang yourself up and you start literally crying that's a tough one my neighbor came out and she said James and I was lying between our homes bawling because I was mentally and physically broken yeah and th- this was the straw that broke the camel's back or the desk that broke the broker's back hey the desk that broke the the broker's neck i like that and then she had to go get my wife and my wife came out and picked me up like a 10 year old and took me in the house so we're trying to avoid that this year sometimes you need those days though there's nothing wrong with that when you hit your apparently somebody said there's something called work-life balance i've never heard of of you no one work-life balance come on who has that who's got that if you figured out work-life balance please let us know and we'll be happy to hear your ideas because we need it we do need it and we also need a guest so who are we chatting with today Today we have Mr. Matthew Gorman from Cox and Palmer, who is an entertainment lawyer uh, and also owns his own uh, agency, Ocean Town Music, which I'm very much looking forward to hearing about. Uh, he does both, um, and he has a really interesting story on how that kind of came to be and how he's kind of weaved the two together and uh, you know, kind of what the future is going to hold. So we're looking forward to having him on. That sounds like a worthy conversation, doesn't it? I think so. I think it'd be very interesting. Something yeah. we haven't talked about yet on this podcast, which is quite cool. And Halifax is still mattering. That's why it's the Matter of Facts podcast. It is mattering. Uh, it's still insane. Do you want to do you want to chat about something as insane I'd say as the it's crane? Quite insane. Insane is the crane. Insane is the crane. Insane is the crane. Kind of insane, like the crane. This insane episode, crane. insane is the crane. It's taking a dark, insane turn. The cost of living. It is a scary subject, and it's an important subject yep. too. And, and what I'd like us to try to do, Alec, is to talk about it in a in a sensible way. Because if you look at Reddit and you talk, you know, everyone just says, "Well, the city's got so expensive," and it's so true. But I want to pick that apart and try to have a, a structured discussion about the cost of living. And this is off the back. What precipitated this, aside from the fact it now costs you you guys about five thousand dollars for a coffee, mm. is the. Um, report that came out or a post that came out from Nova Scotia Justice for Workers. This is a, a rightfully admirable advocacy group that's fighting for fair conditions and policies for, for all of us here in the province that work. Um, they posted something online which said the cost of living in Halifax is now more than the cost of living in Vancouver. The metrics they gave, and then we'll we'll have a discussion, Yeah, Halifax living wage, and I'm going to going to say one other thing. What is living wage? A lot of people, they confuse living wage and minimum wage. So of course, minimum wage is whatever jurisdiction you're in setting a minimum wage hourly rate that people must get paid. The difference with the living wage is that the living wage reflects what people need to earn to cover the actual cost of living in their community. So it is what you need to have to live and cover your basic needs versus what the government mandates. So living wage in Halifax, despite being $15 an hour minimum wage, living wage is $26.50 an hour. So For Halifax. That's pretty crazy. $26.50. I was going to guess 27 28 
I feel like I've seen it online, yeah. but 2650, wow. And Vancouver's lower. This is the point, right? Vancouver's now $25.68 an living hour. Wage. Living wage. Minimum wage is higher than here at 16.75. So, you know, there's many data points, but Halifax is essentially more expensive than Vancouver. Before we dig in, and I'll tell you how we're going to do this. Mm. I'm going to be the fact man. You're going to be the opinion man. I like it. What do you make of it? It's, uh, I mean, of course it's sad to hear. And we see it all around us. You talk to people every day in our line of work, our friends and our family, and hearing how everybody's affected by it. You know, um, I, from, I can tell from experience, I can know from experience in the past five years, you know, my fiance and I have jumped around apartments. So we've seen that side of it from the just getting out of university to having our first like real jobs to also trying to live and have an apartment, have a car. And really like when we peel back the cost of that, it's just... It's crazy. We talk about it every day. We're like, did we really spend that much on that? We look at our apartment and what we were, and that's a big reason why we bought a house. Not saying houses are a, 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 the best investment in any, any given time, considering how much they may be going for and the interest rates. But we look at what we were paying for rent for uh, for an apartment in Halifax with parking, uh, with storage. And we look at that and we're like, well, that's less than the mortgage we're, we're paying now. Now, mind yep. you, there's other, there's other costs with owning a home, of course, but that's what drove, drove us to say, okay, well, we're done paying we're done paying rent. We're going to try and pay the mortgage. Now, we were fortunate enough to get in a situation where we could do that. I'll say we got lucky with the house we found and that the timing of the market was really good. But I know a lot of friends and family who are like trying to figure out, you know, are we going to stay in this apartment? I know the landlords want to jack the rent up. Not not saying that's a bad thing. And, and you know, if a landlord is entitled to increase their rent and they've been at a low rent for a long time, it is what it is. But, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of people that are, are struggling that want to buy a home that they see the cost of what the groceries are going to cost, what electricity is going to cost, what, what's going to, what it's going to cost to to put water in the home, like all these different things. And it's just shooting right up. And uh, sorry, I kind of went off a little bit there, but just I've experienced a lot in the last year with our shift to buying a home and stuff and seeing it firsthand. I wouldn't have made it through if, if Jenna wasn't a CPA and an accountant that could figure it out no, for that's me. that's a skill. That's oh a... my goodness, I couldn't do it. So I'm looking forward to your this, some facts you're going to yeah. spit out at me here. I, I got, got some, a couple. I, I appreciate opinions. the input here. And and first of all, I want to discuss that. So this the, what I'm going to go through here is from a report titled Living Wages in Nova Scotia 2023 Update by the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives. First of all, they want to, and I agree, state the benefits of paying a living wage. So that would be where uh, minimum wage matches a living wage. So there's benefits for employees, they claim, employers in the community, including reduced poverty, higher employee loyalty, and increased local investment, which I totally agree with. Now, just to get some data points, okay? So everyone said years ago, the valley's so cheap compared to the city, blah, blah, blah. Halifax living wage, twenty six fifty an hour. It's only actually... Uh, it, it's not only, sorry, it is $25.40 in the Valley. So barely any cheaper to live in Kentville, Wolfville, no. uh, Nowheresville than it is to live in the city. I didn't know that stat. Cape Breton, twenty two eighty five an hour. So, you know, marginally cheaper. The report has gone into a lot of detail, you know, fairly, I would say fairly neutrally in, in its opinion. To sum up the, the increases, they're saying the living wage rates have seen an average increase of 14% this year, most uh, the most significant increase since calculations began on Halifax in 2015. This is attributed to rising costs of living, especially for shelter and food. Okay, the first thing I think we should hit on off the back of this, one of their suggestions is to do with our taxation in Nova Scotia. The report suggests that tax and transfer systems need to be more sensitive to small increases in taxable income and avoiding disproportionate tax increases or benefit reductions. So this is the first point I want Alex's opinion on. This is not the report anymore. This is this is kind of my research okay. on this. But this has been a topic, particularly in our house, we've talked about for a while. Nova Scotia does not index tax rates. It is the only province... Uh, along with PEI in the whole country that does not index tax rates. So to give some context there, this if you index a tax rate, you adjust it to avoid what the experts and the economists call bracket creep. So that's when inflation drives income into higher tax brackets, which results in higher income taxation, but no increase in purchasing power. So we are the only, apart from PEI, the only province not indexing those tax rates. Crazy. That is squeezing anybody. Anybody who gets a cost of living raise is actually ending up with less buying power as a result. Wow. It's, a, it's unfortunate that we're, you say us and PEI? Mm. Us and PEI. Yeah. 
I guess it depends on what line of work you're in, right? Sometimes with a commission sales, you're not sure what tax bracket you may end up in uh, at the end of the year. Um, but I've seen it where, and it's unfortunate where we're seeing those who might, might, might make a salary at, at 60 grand or whatever, say 55, 60 versus somebody making 80, 85. But because of the difference in tax brackets, they're not actually like the difference in what they're taking yeah, home marginal. is, yeah, it's, it's not very much. So what Jen and I were talking about the other day, it's like, you know, what do you need to make to live? And it's like five years ago. Five years ago, you know, if you're coming out of university and if you're making, you know, 50, 60, you're like, that's good. That was the six, that oh, would go solid. That went on like right out of university yeah. five years ago, 60 grand went a long way. Well, lawyers, associates, not not just like articling clerks, f- first year associates in law firms years ago when I came to Canada were making 50K and that was considered very, very, Oof. very competitive in Halifax at the wow. time. Wow. That's that exactly. was like 2010. Yeah, well, exactly. So even even previous to that, so 50 even go longer. 60 went a long way five years ago. And now, what do we say to Jen and I are like, well, 90 sounds like the new 60 right now. Now it's like 90 is kind of yeah. the, the, the bear to, to, to still keep living and stuff and to be able to save and to be able to look towards the future and stuff. So um, I don't like that we're us along with PEI. Nothing, to get, nothing that we're with PEI, but that we're one of the only two. That- well, I just think when somebody needs a cost of living increase, that shouldn't push them into the next tax bracket. No, it's a, nece- if they it's a necessity. Need that to live. And, and everybody has an opinion on this. Jay Goldberg, he's the interim director of the uh, Canadian Taxpayers Federation. He went pretty far. He called out Timmy directly and he said, NS Premier Tim Houston is the only first minister in Canada deliberately profiting off of inflation. Every other government in Canada has acknowledged that it's wrong to punish taxpayers simply for receiving a cost of living raise. Now, you and I are seeing fee compression in our industry right yep, now. Absolutely. So, our cost of living has risen dramatically, but in the world of commercial real estate, if we're paid on a per square foot commission basis, we haven't put our fees up. No. It, so, it's you know, we get, I'm not saying that we are on the breadline, but we're, um, and we, you know, we do what we do because we feel the compensation is competitive for the work we put in. Yep. I'll say that much. Yeah. Um, but we are seeing fee compression too. Yeah. 100%. I mean, there's, there's, there's no talk of it going any higher. It's, it's like, this is Mark. I mean, there are some out there who do, um, you know, see a higher value and are willing to um, increase a fee. Um, but for the most part, it's we're at a standard and at the point where sometimes we're even, we're fighting to keep it at that standard, right? Well, we'll every- lower a fee to get a client's deal over the finish line when when that's what's required. I do it all the time and yeah. you do too. Yeah, well, you get very close and it's like, oh, you're almost done. But normally it says, you know, say it's four bucks a square foot and it's like, mm, no, yours is actually gonna be 350. And it's like, well, that's not... Obviously, this is going to be the hill we die on for the deal we've gotten this far. Oh, yeah. Okay, but then the problem is not to go off on a tangent in real estate, but like the problem will be is you got thirty minutes, go for it. So okay, I need more than that. The problem is the more that happens, the more stress on the fees, and the more instances like that where it's going down. Then one day that could become market, yeah. right? That becomes more common than landlords or tenants would be like, oh well, so and so took this fee. Why won't you? And before you know it, an egg McMuffin's eighty-nine dollars at uh, McDonald's. There, I had a hot chocolate on my way here. It was six dollars. Uh, six dollars. Somebody on Reddit the other day, uh, candy canes now, tiny candy canes in in Sobeys for three ninety-nine or three forty-nine. Anyway, crazy. You and I agree. Index tax brackets. Is that James and Alec collective suggestion yes. to Tim Houston number one? Okay. Yes. Right. So let's go back to this report now um, and go to housing. Housing and affordability crisis. The report highlights the growing affordability crisis in housing, with rent and utility costs consuming a significant portion of budgets. It emphasized the need for government action in housing policy. Now, that came at the right time because the Nova Scotia government did release, I for one didn't believe it existed, but they did release their long-awaited five-year housing plan, strategy plan back at the end of October, including a billion dollars in provincial spending with a view to building at least 41,000 housing units. Last year, the province spent just 266 million, so quite an increase. It is needed. A recent assessment suggests there's a requirement for 80,400 units in the next 10 years. And unfortunately, many Nova Scotians are forgoing essentials like food to afford housing, and the majority cannot afford medium-priced homes. Now, uh, my opinion is that removing HST from new apartment construction, this announcement came like six weeks ago, That was that, that's a good start. Um, yeah. Lots are opposed, including politicians expressing skepticism for the Nova Scotia five-year housing strategy, citing a lack of detail and actionable steps. Now, the reason this is an important point for you to chime in on is, as an old fuddy-duddy here, I have not uh, either bought, rented, or had friends that have bought or rented homes in quite a few years. Everyone's sort of settled. Um, You and your social circle are in that pivotal time of life where everyone is 
picking the chess piece up and moving it down and hopefully leaving yeah. it down for a little while. Like, what are you seeing out there with places you've rented, friends, family? Um, you, you, that must be a big topic of conversation, the lack of ability to get always into an owned home always. or stay put and see rent skyrocket. And the full year leading up to us buying our home, that was all the conversation with our friends were over, with our family. It was all the conversation because we were trying. We'd like you to come to a party on Sunday night at seven o'clock to shit all over housing. Oh yeah. And it, you know, shit on our our strategy to finding a home and oh, you're never gonna get one. Uh, you know, we oh, that was a slap in the face. Did you, you invite all those people to your move-in party, like housewarming party? Oh no, they didn't get the invite to that one. Oh, I would have had no. Them over. Out of spite, they come over. Please Welcome. step into the house. Look you said this. I would never get. Wow, look at this. Look at all this nice furniture. Um, yeah, it, it was it was crazy because you know it was funny the apartments and I, I don't mind sharing the apartment numbers. So tell me everything I'd, about your house, how much it cost, how much you both earn, <laughs> everything. No I'll one's gonna know. No one listens to the podcast there. anyway. No, no one listens to us. I could spell it all out. The apartments is public knowledge because you could search up these apartments. Anyway, I'm not going to name the apartments, but I'll say our first apartment, this is how much it changed. Our first apartment we share with one other girl and there was three of us and it was 1700 for a two bedroom. Good size, 1700 And what year was this, sorry? Uh, 2020, 2020. Okay, just context. 20, cool. Sorry, yeah, 2020. Uh, right out of university. So we moved in uh, September 2019 and we lived there for a year. Um, and then we paid whatever it was uh, however much each that seventeen fifty was divided by. We need we need your fiance here. I, yeah. It's too late in the day. See, to I, that I can't I can't do that. Whatever that was, so that's great. But that was and that was all ten, in. ten bucks. Yeah, and then we split the power bill three ways. Great. So then Jen and I moved to our own apartment together, and we were what was it like? It was like eight hundred and something square feet, um, and it was uh, sixteen hundred sixteen forty five plus parking. But still, that was like okay. It's it's you know for what we were getting because the other one was mind you that other one was a two bedroom. Uh, Big size, tall ceilings, like uh, everything inclusive. So even though it was more rent, you would get more out of it. Uh, then we left that one. And the next one we went to uh, was twenty two ninety five for a thousand square feet, uh, one bedroom plus den. And that was not including parking, which is one fifty a month. That was not including storage, which is $75 a month, um, not including power. Um, and of course, Wi-Fi, not including Wi-Fi. And then it went up. We stayed there two years, went up both times. And the landlord was like, at the point where we, we talked about, oh, we might go buy a house, make it out of here. They were like, oh yeah, yeah. Like they're eager because they wanted us out because they wanted to bring the rent. Yeah, you have no it. leverage, dude. No. So what happened was uh, they were only able to put it up uh, the 2%. So it went up $45 or something like that. And then when we, we try to find someone to take over our lease, they're like, no, we're not doing a lease takeover. You can find someone for us and they can do a brand new lease, but you need to let them know that we're going to increase the rent by $300. I would have called on your subletting right just to spite them, even if it was for like three months. I know. That's what it was. It's going to be one month. And uh, something about the notice, they weren't they weren't happy with the notice. I'm not going to name them, but they weren't happy with the notice period. We, they said, oh, you didn't give us enough notice that you're going to leave your lease. I said, no, I, I told you you know, three months. I actually told them three months in advance that we we're going to leave. And they said, no, no, no. So anyways, new lease got taken out. They new lease was started. It went up $300. Luck. I mean, we found the people that took it over. One was a, a physician at the hospital. So they were like, yeah, no problem, whatever. But still like $300. So now that, that unit that we paid, we started out paying 2295 in, uh, at, uh, in 2021, it would have been, uh, is now 2,800. 2700 wow. including parking and stuff like and now you have a mortgage so you're building equity and yeah you know and then yeah. so then going to the house part of things um it's it's crazy looking at the breakdown of our mortgage payment like what's what are we paying paying principal and what are we paying interest and it's crazy all things considered we got a decent rate we have we had an awesome uh mortgage specialist from rbc really helped us through the process got us a really good rate but trying to find a house and then our time in the market was kind of crazy with the bidding wars weren't still what they were but we were seeing more prices houses were getting listed true to price so it was still really high um high prices whatever we got lucky with ours as you know as us being licensed agents i was able to do the deal myself it worked my and first ever apartment this was 2006 this is when i i left wales and i moved to florida and i had a one bedroom apartment shit it was someone one bedroom apartment all utilities in, including AC in Florida, which just pumps 24-7, 365. Yeah. Beautiful, manicured landscape facility. It wasn't a prison. Uh, complex that we lived in. Free parking. Guess what the rent was a month? 
beautifully kept, furnished, managed apartment with security, free parking. Everything was manicured. Oh, I should tell you, free use of a gym, free use of a pool, 24-7 on-site, front desk. Thousand bucks. 360 bucks. Three hundred. Leave the studio. Yeah, three hundred and sixty dollars a month. I paid. That's how wow. much things have changed. It's nuts. Um, so the the report here just goes on. Um, oh, just to, to backtrack on housing, I believe that you know the real test is going to be the tangible impact that the stra- five year strategy document and plan for the um, municipality or the, the provincial government, the tangible steps they can actually take. We we will see. They better come up with a backup plan pretty damn quick if it doesn't work um this report then wrapped up it talked about other things food and and soft costs so obviously food uh, and cost inflation is significantly impacting food budgets childcare, transportation that kind of thing Uh, and, and they actually finished with some recommendations for employers and the government they they suggested that employers should prioritize paying a living wage and providing benefits in decent working conditions i do not kind of believe and fathom the fact they actually had to suggest that that people would do the basic right thing Uh, and they also of course had a suggestion for the government that they should focus on increasing the minimum wage enforcing labor standards expanding public services and investing in affordable housing again shocked they would even have to mention those basic things but that was the report from the canadian center of policy alternatives about living wage in nova scotia so that was a long insane as the crane but i think we had to tackle the cost of living eventually I, i actually on the way here uh, this mor- or this morning on the way in, I was driving Jenna and I said, what do you think of this topic? And she's like, absolutely. She's like, that's a topic people are going to want to hear. She was actually, she, she, she went so far as to say, this is such a hot topic amongst people that it, there's might there's potential for a full episode to be dedicated to that. And well, having a do that. financial analyst on or somebody on that can talk about from their standpoint, right? The expert advice and what's the future looking like kind of thing. We've covered <laughs> the two big things in this episode that warrant, 25 hours each of discussion, one Mm. being cost of living and the other being drivers of Nova Scotia. This is Reddit Roundup. Haligonians losing their minds over minor inconveniences. All right, the Reddit Roundup in the R Halifax. Sorry, I got to use my phone. Look at the camera. Looking at the camera. Uh, R Halifax from nomad underscore west says as a paramedic here in the central region please and space drive space extremely space carefully i don't know what's in the water the past few weeks but the number of collisions is through the roof as an already borderline burnt out medic for the love of ann murray please don't make me go to more brutal mvcs motor vehicle collisions i'm assuming yeah i tend to agree i think the worst of the worst come out as we get closer to christmas time that's when the real bad drivers come out to play. Well, this was one comment, which I think is totally true. And it was somebody who said the problem with the cost of living squeeze right now is that folks will not be getting their winter tires put on or replace their tires because, of course, it's an expensive endeavor. So we actually stand to have an even more dangerous time on the road this winter. Yeah, absolutely. I'm actually seeing a comment. I think might might be a reply to that, but it's similar about not getting the winter tires on. Blown Wide Open says, can confirm, foregoing winter tires this year myself. Can't rationalize buying them with the insane cost of all the other necessities. Just going to park the car at the first sight of snow. Frig this economy. I am so ready to riot. That's a good idea. So I did that last year and I got good tires on the car, but at the, every year I get a little bit older, I value uh, my life more and I do recognize I'm one year closer to the grave. So last year, I my little rule was I wasn't going to go on the highway when it was clearly dangerous to drive on the highway. So I spent a lot of time last year leaving additional time prior to meetings and places I needed to be to use slower roads. And my rationale was um, that I would be safer now whether it plays out or not i i don't know i've got a couple of bullet points of ranting i'll get to in a minute but let's pull some of these uh these comments out the the first one was hand 77 shot first very very salient point uh, said people have been getting progressively worse since the pandemic but since the pandemic, Alec, have you seen it get worse? I have. And and I'm not the person that goes, well, it's all the uh, Ontarians who moved in. That's not the case. I just think people have become crappy drivers. I think so. I think everyone's kind of become, I shouldn't say like aggressive. Everyone's not an aggressive driver, but just impatient. Everyone's just impatient in their driving now, you know, waiting at lights. I mean, I, I, I every day I see people really going through reds because they just can't wait the extra few minutes. And I and I get part of it. I get the frustration of waiting in traffic and stuff. I feel like we're seeing it a lot more than normal. Um, 
people are frustrated if somebody's going slow in front of them. They're mad at them when really it's five cars in front of them that's going slow. Oh, yeah. And but Leave the, earlier as well. Just manage your time better. I know everyone's all mad. I, mean, I'm, I am a culprit of that, of, of being all annoyed about traffic and being like... Rah, rah. What do they say? You're not stuck in traffic. You are traffic. I am traffic. I get all... I come home the end of the day. I'm like, oh, I was in traffic for an hour going to the city. And Jenna will just say, okay, wake up earlier, leave earlier. And I'm like, hmm, yeah, that's a good point, I guess, whatever. But everyone's just a bit more frustrated and in a rush and everything's added together, right? And with the, with the cost of living and all that going on, I'm frustrated because I'm stuck in traffic, going to the groceries to spend twice as much as I want to spend at the grocery store for half the amount of food that I want, only to drive home in traffic again. My food goes bad by the time I get home because of the traffic. I'm going off right now, but... Then you got to sell your taxes up. I get too high and they haven't indexed those damn tax brackets. Oh, Mother Hubbard. Um, so I sound like one of those frustrated drivers right now, and I am a bit impatient with driving, um, but I have to get better at it. I have to get better. I'm not a... I'm still a smart driver. I'm still obey the law. I avoid you know, getting into any jackpots and whatnot, but I do, I am one of those people that gets annoyed and frustrated in the car, especially if I, if I miss a light, like the other day I hit every, those damn reds. I hit every red on Portland street on the way to my house. And I was like, at one point I punched the wheel. I shouldn't be saying that. <laughs> so you have an anger issue to put on top of the battery <laughs> as well. And it, it actually leads to a really good comment here. I'm going to assume they're talking about golf with the username. I can't find the hole. Um, I don't understand. <laughs> They're talking about golf or putting a key in a door, clearly. I don't Absolutely. understand how someone can, I agree with this, can get into a motorized 3,000-pound vehicle and drive around like a maniac and risk serious injury or death just to save a moment or two of time. Alec Cranston. It only takes a split second to change someone's life for the worst. It's true. Yeah. That's the bottom line, right? And we all know and, and we all know people who've had accidents or, or uh, know people who know people who've lost loved ones in car accidents. And often they weren't the idiot driver. It was the person who crossed the median. Yeah. Um, my opinion on this is, and I'm going to get on my British high horse here. I have driven in many countries around the world over the last 20 years, many, many countries around the world. I have never encountered driving, not just in Canada. I've driven all across Canada too. I have never encountered driving like Halifax. And I blame it on a few things. I blame it on the fact that in North America, people use drive automatic vehicles. I grew up in a country where everyone drives a standard. Mm. When you've got a stick, you don't have anything free to hold your phone with. You don't have anything free to fiddle with the no, radio. You got to hold your stick. You got to hold your stick. You got to keep that that firm grip on the stick the entire time. Wrapped right around it. Yeah. Wrapped right around tightly, so you can with a death grip, so you you can yank it whenever you need to. But in seriousness, there is um, so many opportunities in automatic vehicles without a clutch, without a, um, a gear shifter, to be distracted. And the one thing I notice when I try go back to the UK and hire a standard vehicle is. I, I have to have all hands on deck. I, I, I sometimes find it hard to talk and drive. Like, th there is no opportunity there to get distracted. And the one, the other thing I'll say, getting even higher on my British high horse, which was quite high to begin with. You're getting high, man. I was in the UK last summer. I drove 3,000 kilometers, did a big loop of the country. I did not use my horn once. I can't get two kilometers down the road here without honking someone who does something dumb or wow. goes on a red light or doesn't go on a green light or you know you know how it goes um i drove for two weeks and we we crisscrossed the country literally twice never once did anybody do anything to me that caused me to need to sound my horn i don't use my horn often now that i think about it i'm yeah i find the most common time is when someone's actually distracted in front of you at the light they're on their phone. No. Oh, the old green light, but they don't move. And then the light cycles through and then they're nervous. And, <laughs> do you ever and see those videos people do where like the light turns green and it instantly you hit the horn on the guy just to mess with it? Well, them? this is a thing and, and I won't try to sound like I'm aware of their culture too much, but I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, HalifaxPodcast at gmail.com, please, for hate mail. Mm. Um, I think it's Japan. Is It's culturally correct and acceptable that they're 50 cars deep and five lanes deep in an inner city when the light goes green everybody lays on their horn together. oh i couldn't last and there. they say you're in the cities and you just hear it and it's not an aggression thing it's just everybody sounds their horn oh. you can also do it at bayer's lake on a saturday afternoon i'm oh, sure but that's because everyone's driving badly that's a whole can of worms there i was gonna I, I, my question to you was gonna be where's your least favorite area in nova scotia to drive amongst i'm not gonna, not, not like the highway or stuff but like one area and mine would be bears lake like once you're in there you're stuck like on a saturday yeah. afternoon 
Ooh. Minus Bayers Lake, uh, uh, normally at the moment, it's in and around um, Duke Street, coming off the 102 where they're doing some work on the bridge. And oh, yeah. the city hasn't done, or Cogswell, these things, the city hasn't done the best at directing and, and channeling traffic. So that in conjunction with poor impatient drivers means everyone's at fault and you, you can't do anything right but i tell you what i found and maybe i'll buy you one for um for christmas but uh, dash cams so i fitted Ooh. my wife and i both of our car cars with front and rear hd dash cams i probably take video off them weekly and i'm convinced at some point that they're going to do two things the dash cam is either going to document my fiery wreck death or the serious thing is i'm i'm going to have to use that footage to get myself out of trouble in an insurance claim where it's my wood against theirs. Okay. Um, I was rear-ended on the highway, unfortunately, four years ago. Hit me at about 65 kilometers an hour, and I was stationary, and it was not nice. And that's when I went out and bought dash cams because I was convinced the person behind me was texting, and I had no proof. And at the rear-facing dash cam at that point, uh, and we're visual here now uh, with these wonderful cameras, thank you, uh, Podstarter, that I would have at least seen her driving right. with her phone. I had, it was our word against theirs, and um, the police didn't didn't charge anyone. But uh, go and get dash cams, people. Glad they also glad okay you don't get that. your car broken into because people don't know if it's uh, on a battery or not, or, and they're being filmed. Ah, interesting. I've learned that recently. People don't like being filmed. Apparently, no. Apparently not. Um, and all I'll finish off by saying here is I, I have thought that we had um, a wonderful discussion that we could and should have with Halifax Regional Police about traffic enforcement mm-hmm. because I see very little of it these days compared to days gone by. Um, for the record, I have reached out uh, to the media office at Halifax Regional Police with a request for Don McLean long, long time ago. Not that Don McLean, the current acting police chief uh, for Halifax Regional Police to come on for an interview i have not heard back and i would love to have him on from the meteor office the meteor showers coming in the aurora borealis i know that's the northern lights the uh, um yeah the media sh- me, me is that my accent yeah it's office? your accent you said media it suddenly said meteor office and i thought do we have an office for meteors media's office we will do soon when the world yeah. ends but All right, so that's. I mean, the, if we have hours left, I'll just talk about driving. You can go home and pick oh, me up tomorrow. I'm just gonna sit here and talk about driving. I appreciate you finishing us off on the Reddit roundup. There, that was good. And, and to wrap, you know, this is Reddit roundup. I've ranted. It's not a ranting roundup. It's Reddit roundup. We should oh, get back you're to Reddit. Wrap it up now. Fearlessware9385 said somebody didn't have their load secured and their green living room chair almost landed on our windshield yesterday as we were crossing into Nova Scotia from New Brunswick and it was terrifying Uh, could be a New Brunswicker uh, with a very big tractor trailer following us at 110 kilometers an hour so oh, no joke. Man. I mean, you gotta secure your load. You gotta secure you can't your load. Let your load just fly everywhere. You can't. You you got. I mean, green chair too. Green oh. chair. Those those big loads. You gotta watch. Gotta watch out. Is you all gotta I be say. careful for those. And if you're if you're in the vicinity of a big load that's gonna fly off a car, then you gotta watch out. So thank you to everybody on Reddit for being redditors. We do have a guest. Yes, we do. Mr. Matthew Gorman has walked in, so we will go out and greet him. And with the magic of audio editing, it will just seem like a second, as if he was just appeared in here. So we got him, we dragged him in, we're joined very gratefully, we're very pleased to have uh, Matt Gorman on the show with us. Matt is counsel at Cox and Palmer's Halifax office, where he brings a sharp focus to his practice in entertainment law, intellectual property, and corporate and commercial transactions, where his expertise shines in the music industry and talent advocacy. Matt's client roster is as diverse as it is impressive, encompassing award-winning performers, songwriters, producers, as well as managers, social media influencers, and indie music publishers and record labels. Now, he is not just confined to the legal arena. Matt is a respected voice in the music community. He's a frequent writer, lecturer, and speaker on music-related issues, sharing his insights at conferences and events across the country. He's also a proud member of the International Association of Entertainment Lawyers. Matt is also the force, and that's the primary reason we've dragged him in here today behind Ocean Town Music, offering business advisory and management services to clients in the music and entertainment sectors. His background as a musician playing drums, piano and guitar not only fuels his passion, but also informs his legal practice, which gives him a very unique perspective on the industry. And we're thrilled to have you with us today, Matt. Thank you. What an intro. Did you uh, like that one, eh? I, I like that. Where did you get that from? I, I got that from, well, I was up to about four o'clock this morning writing that. I started <laughs> okay. my research maybe a month ago. Yeah, that <laughs> okay. was a long journey. I like the sharp focus. I, I haven't heard it quite framed that way, but I like it. Well, there's no copy. You have a copyright. You can put this on LinkedIn, do whatever you want. Absolutely. Right? Just take, just rip yeah, it. Yeah, it's rip yours it. now. It's, it's, it's just yours. the episode description. That's what it'll be. 
Do we even right need to now. interview you, or should we just leave on a high note? Well, great <laughs> to have you. Thank you so much. I think we leave on a high note. Thank That's you great. so much for joining us. It's all downhill from here. Well, thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. So Great to be here. Uh, James alluded to kind of what you're up to now. So I guess for starters, I know there's a lot of different paths you can take um, in the legal arena and, and where you might go. What sort of led you to going down to the entertainment industry, and, and how did you kind of get your start there? Yeah, I mean, how long is the podcast? Do we have? Oh, we're about, we're we about six hours an episode. You're <laughs> okay, good. You're there good. we go. There's more water coming. Don't worry. Yeah, I'll give you the short and sweet kind of version of it. I mean, so look, I grew up uh, as a musician. I grew up playing piano, classical piano. Um, gravitated towards the drums. Played in rock bands, heavy metal bands, funk bands, all that stuff. Growing up, played guitar as well. Um, and I was always inter interested in the law as well. And I kind of always assumed that at some point, if I got into law, I would also get into entertainment law. Um, so went to law school, uh, became a lawyer, but I just, I guess I didn't really think that there was a market for entertainment services on the East Coast. And I kind of felt like, listen, if I'm not in Toronto or LA or New York, I can't do entertainment law is kind of what I thought at first. Um, and so I went to Cox and Palmer, I joined their corporate commercial group, I did a lot of corporate transactional work. Um, I then went and worked in-house as regulatory counsel for a local company. And um, at that point in time, I realized, listen, if I don't do this now, I'm never going to do it. I'm not going to be 45 or 50 starting my own entertainment practice. So um, I started what was Ocean Town Music at the time, which was essentially my own law firm. Um, and I went around, I did conference speaking, I uh, linked up with a lot of my musician friends, told them what I was doing, and I just hustled and hustled and hustled until I got a pretty decent client roster that grew and grew and grew. Um, and I realized, well, hey, I, you know, I'm doing this corporate gig and now I've got this other law firm sort of on the side. Uh, this is growing. There's only 24 hours in a day. I have to figure out what I'm going to do here. And so I went out on my own and did um, uh, Ocean Town Music for a little bit as a law firm. And then I eventually joined up with uh, Cox and Palmer. I rejoined Cox and Palmer and uh, now exclusively do entertainment law with them. So um, it's, a, I guess, a bit of the short version, but it was a grind and it's a lot of hustle. But uh, it really was um, naturally the fusion between my love of music and uh, my love for entertainment, love and interest of entertainment law. And I realized that even though I'm based in Halifax, I can have not just a, a Nova Scotia-based practice or a national practice, but really an international practice. And really my clients are all over the world at this point and uh, really proud of what I've grown and really love what I do. Right. Wow. So would you do sense? the law? It does. And, and here's, here's the first question. Would you do the law without the entertainment and the music passion fueling it? Because Alec and I, we, we really enjoy what we do for a living in the commercial real estate space. Um, I will be honest and say I don't have a passion that is a true life passion. I fuse with that. I actually work in order to then pursue my passions when I take the suit off. You seem to be in a slightly different different environment where every day the passion that you had as a kid and from childhood is also fueling your professional life uh, and, it's, and it's running deeply through it you know do you ever separate the law from the entertainment or could you do the law by itself or do they have to be married in the way you see things yeah i mean it's, it's a good question i mean i didn't do entertainment law at first right so when i joined cox and palmer i originally did corporate commercial transactional uh, work i did a little bit of criminal law on the side I even, you know, had a little traffic ticket uh, legal practice where I was defending uh, folks that were given uh, traffic tickets in violation, which was a lot of fun going to spring. We have all been there. We, we need you. Go back and do that. I could that. be there today. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it was my way of getting to court. It may have been night court at, you know, 7 or 8 p.m. and may not have been glamorous, but I actually loved all that stuff. So, so to answer your question, yeah, I would have been doing law for sure. And I liked what I was doing. Um, and I loved the idea of having a very... A broad practice. I didn't really like the idea of narrowing in on anything, um, strangely enough. Um, so the answer is yes, I would definitely have been a lawyer, definitely would have practiced law. Um, but as time went, you know, the practice of law is, is interesting for me in that way um, because I enjoyed that broad based practice. But then I realized over time, I mean, listen, this is, a, this is really what I want to do. Entertainment's really what I want to do. And how do I sort of gravitate towards that? And uh, grow that business. And so um, I was lucky to find an area within the law that I could pursue and uh, that I could sort of grow over time. And I still do a little bit of corporate commercial law on the side and some tr transactional stuff on the side, um, which I still like doing occasionally. But I've been lucky enough where the entertainment stuff takes up the bulk of my my time as a lawyer. I mean, about 80% plus of what I do is almost exclusively like music at Amazing. this point. And so I'm really lucky to to be able to do that. Well, good for you. 
So our clients, like new clients, are they coming and they are they finding you? Are you still doing that hustle of going? Because you said not just Nova Scotia, but you can go you can go national, international for your clients and find them. Or do you go find them, or a lot of them coming to you? Yeah, it really depends. I mean, um, you know, I do a lot of conference speaking. So I was in Kelowna for Break, Breakout West not that long ago. Um, did an hour and a half uh, panel out there. You know, I got some clients from that conference. Um, uh, other times I'll love an artist, I'll love their music, and I'll reach out to either the artist or the management team, and I'll say, you know, hey, we'd love to have a conversation. And sometimes that actually leads to a great relationship. Yeah. Um, and other times it's managers. Uh, managers, um, you know, might have a roster of four, five, ten clients, and uh, all of those clients might need legal representation. And I may have met a manager at, you know, a conference a year ago, or I may have acted for that manager um, you know, on some other transaction or file where they just remember my name. So um, referrals um, and, uh, you know, drumming up business comes in a whole bunch of different sort of ways. But I find the more I put myself out there, the more conference speaking I do, the more writing I do. But first and foremost, the better work I do ultimately is driving the clients. But it is a lot of hustle, though. Yeah. I'm constantly looking for talent. I'm constantly um, reaching out to managers and artists and uh, labels. Um, you know, I was in Toronto last week and met with the major labels in Toronto just to kind of shake hands and get to know people. Um, and the more I do that, the more the clients come. But it's yeah. time consuming. Like like yeah. anybody that's interested in developing their own business, you got to put a lot of time into it. We've and, been uh, there now in the commercial real estate world. It's three years before you'll call it profitable. Sure. It's three years before you're making an income. Um, or Alec was ahead of you. Yeah. Alec was ahead of the curve. Uh, he would would have been our. When did you join us? Two two and a half years ago. Twenty twenty one. Twenty twenty one. Alec Alec's ahead of the curve on most, but um, there is that valley in the beginning, and it turns a lot of people off. But the the rewards come for those who who grind and hustle. 100%. And if if we turn. Not away from law, but if we look at the broader thing of, of talent in Nova Scotia, and I appreciate not everybody you work with is is you know living here in the province, but um, for people like me who aren't embedded in that world, just sum up the talent we have, and we look at it from from a business side of things. I, I always tell people a lot of my work's in Burnside. There are things happening in in Burnside that are changing the world. That when you drive past a, a dirty looking warehouse, you don't know what's going on in there. And I'm assuming that we are all underinformed at the potential and impact of of entertainment in our wonderful province. Yeah, I would say that's it's probably. Um true um although i feel like the east coast has always had a decent reputation for good music here um uh and i think that's probably been true for years and years and and now is no exception from my perspective today i kind of look at the the talent pool in nova scotia and the east coast as being quite broad uh, we not only have a lot of great singer songwriters like we've probably always had for for a long period of time or east coast style kind of music we also have a lot of great rappers and hip-hop artists we also have yeah. a lot of great producers you know we have a lot of really really world-class like session musicians and backup vocalists and the more i do the work that i do and the more shows i go to in nova scotia the more conferences i go to the more i realize that um from my perspective it just is a really broad um uh, you know set of talent that we have in nova scotia that that people may not necessarily identify right away. I mean, obviously we hear about the big names on the radio and all that stuff, yeah. but we really have great producers and songwriters and um, folks that you you may not have heard of, but are always at those like great shows, yeah. you know, playing drums or whatever. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm constantly impressed and blown away by the talent here. And I think it's always been great. And I think now is no exception. Yeah, and I think the exciting thing too is with social media, I mean, I'm thinking of musicians as well as influencers. I mean, you could really, from no matter where you are in the world, you could blow up at any time. Like, you know, keeping tabs, like, is that something you do regularly is keeping tabs on, you know, an emerging musician or influencer on TikTok or on, on Instagram and saying, oh, they're picking up speed. They're from around here. I'm, I should reach out kind of thing. Yeah, no, it's something that I, that I do and I, I watch yeah. out for it. You know, that's what record labels do. That's what record companies do. And there are these um, folks at record labels called A&Rs, Artist and Repertoire. And say so you're the legal version of the A&I, you well, st stood in the back thinking, I'm going to represent them one day. <laughs> well, it's interesting, though, because some entertainment lawyers um, have no interest in doing that. And some of the best entertainment lawyers in the world, the most well-known ones and some of the most well-known ones in the U.S., for example, will admit that they have no idea what will take off and what will be great. Or even today, what is good? Like what makes an artist great? Some lawyers will admittedly say, I have no idea. They're just really great lawyers. They're great at what they do. And that's it. 
Um, there are other entertainment lawyers that I chat with um, that are really interested in the music and they feel as though they can spot talent. Um, I'm not saying that I'm particularly good at it, but I love that side of the business. I do love, you know, um, going through TikTok every now and again or Instagram or whatever, um, or identifying a new artist whose single just dropped and saying, wow, that's really, really great. I mean, who's their label? And maybe, they, maybe they're independent. And yeah, I'll reach out absolutely and say, you know, hey, what's up? Just wanted to say, love your single. Um, if you ever want to chat, let me know. <clears throat> and I do love that side of the business. And um, ultimately, I got into management and Ocean Town Music. It's exactly what that you know. Although Ocean Town Music started out as a manage as a uh, a law firm, all my legal work now flows through Cox and Palmer. But Ocean Town Music as a brand really now is a management company, um, and I manage a producer through that company. So I feel as though um, you know that's kind of a fusion of my love for you know, A&R and management and all that stuff and and love of the law. Um, but yeah, I, I love uh, scouting for talent and just checking out what's good. And sometimes I'm right. Most of the time I'm wrong. <laughs> like well, when you find the, the one that you were right on, that must be absolutely. very rewarding. Yeah. No, absolutely. But what's funny is you just never know what's going to take off. I yeah. mean, and you can have world-class songwriters and, you know, world-class executives that might listen to something and say, hey, that's a hit or that's going to be great. And it might just fall flat on its right. face. And other things on TikTok or Instagram might blow up and you just aren't anticipating or expecting it. And so it really makes music really bizarre yeah. and weird in that way. But um, I think what everyone loves though is everyone loves a great melody. Everyone loves a great song. Yeah. Um, and I think that always moves and impacts anybody. So that's what I always look out for is, is that person a great songwriter? Yeah. Um, they may or may not be a great performer. They may or may not be able to play their instrument very well. But are they a great songwriter? And I'm always interested and fascinated by by that, you know. And and I always look out for songwriters. Yeah, I don't think enga engaging with them early as well is is important. And if we look at the scope of, let's go back to the legal side of things, because I think this is an interesting fusion, which is what, why we're focusing on it. Uh, I think a little bit more than we planned before we started the discussion with you. This is the way things are going, and it's and it's great. Um, what is the typical scope of work with a client when, when we think? These artists and legal representation, we think, you know, the reviews and negotiations of the obvious recording contracts, management contracts, you think plagiarism, lawsuits, all the, some of that stuff that we see in the news, looking at Ed Sheeran and all these high profile people, or you look at Taylor Swift and, and having, uh, I'm not too uh, up with the de finer details, but having, you know, uh, entire back catalogs essentially stolen or whatever, and having to re-record things. Uh, People think that the commercial real estate world is really glamorous, and as we always say, it's often just very boring, but it, it's, re it's still rewarding. Well, what is the typical scope of work with a client? And we're not asking you to name them, we respect the confidentiality agreements, but take us through what you do. Isn't that the one question we never ask people enough? What do you do? <laughs> yeah, no, for sure, it's a good question. Um, it's really a, a bunch of different things. It just depends on the client and it depends on where they are um, uh, at, in their career. Um, so for example, if I'm um, acting for a recording artist that's signed to a record company that maybe just released an album, a lot of the work that I do there is kind of referred to as album clearances. So there will be producers who may have produced um, all, you know, the entire album or several producers that may have produced different tracks or that uh, performing artists may have used some samples. Um, uh, there may be session musicians involved in the album. And I'm papering all that. <laughs> I'm getting producer agreements for all the producers. I'm getting songwriter split sheets for all the songwriters that may have touched a particular composition. You know, someone that came in the studio and laid down a bass track or whatever, I'm throwing a piece of paper at them to make sure that whoever touched and breathed on that project has signed a piece of paper um, to ensure that that album is, is clear. Um, and so that's sort of on the, uh, you know, the performing artist side. A lot of my work is, is doing that. I also act for a lot of producers. So a lot of producers that produce for many, many artists. And uh, anytime that producer produces for an artist, there's, again, a producer agreement, but I'm acting on the other side. So sometimes I'm acting for the artist. Other times I'm acting for the producer. Um, other times it's um, just giving people options. They come to me with a problem and they say, look, I think my song was stolen. Or, hey, I don't understand um, royalties in the music industry. I don't know how I'm supposed to get paid. How am I supposed to collect stuff? I know my song's being performed on the radio and I know, you know it was used in a TV show. How do I actually get paid for that? So sometimes I sit down with clients or have uh, long calls and kind of walk through the whole business slash royalties 101, yeah. um, uh, have that kind of discussion. And, and that's my, my scope for that particular client. So it really, really varies. I don't do a lot of litigation. So to your point about the Ed Sheeran 
situation. Um, you know, if, if some, I, I often try to resolve situations. I've got, you know, a handful of files right now that are quite messy. Mm -hmm. People are fighting about songwriting. People are saying somebody stole my song, et cetera, et cetera. And I try to work at a resolution. But if it gets to the point where um, you can't work at a resolution and people just are butting heads and there's just no common ground, well, that's where I'll pass Let's the file litigate. off to the litigator. Exactly. So I, I don't do that in the entertainment space, but more often than not, so, you know, things settle. I think like a lot of legal disputes because the cost of going to court is absolutely ridiculous, yeah. particularly in the, in the entertainment space. So there really needs to be a monster load of money, um, if that makes sense, monster load of money, we'll go with that, <laughs> um, for it to even make sense to justify the legal cost to go to court. So more often than not, there's a deal to be struck. And so um, my uh, my role might be dispute resolution or kind of settlement negotiation. So that's another um, kind of aspect of what I do too. Super varied. All right. It is super varied. And so flipping to, to Ocean Town Music. Yeah. What would be your your scope of work there? You said you have a client now. So what what kind of are you going out and I'll let you explain it, kind of what your scope of work there for as yeah. a, and the management side of things. No, for sure. So as I said earlier, Ocean Town Music really was <clears throat> my um, my law firm when I started yeah. doing entertainment law. Now um, uh, legal work flows to Cox and Palmer, management work flows through Ocean Town Music. And my legal practice is so busy. I mean, I only have one management client. It's a producer named Mike Sonye. He's from Toronto, currently based in Los Angeles, and just a, a monster uh, producer songwriter. He wrote and produced uh, Noah Cyrus's July, which has you know well over a billion streams yeah. uh, globally. He you know worked on the Black Panther record and did some vocal production work for um, Kendrick Lamar. And uh, Weekend Track um, has produced and written with Maggie Rogers, Julia Michaels, et cetera. So really, really, really great songwriter and producer and just a monster talent, multi-instrumentalist. So when I met Mike and we started working together um, and he was in need of management services, um, you know, it was almost kind of like a no-brainer. And I find it was something, you know, that just developed over time. Um, I would chat with Mike um, and I eventually was providing him advice that had nothing to do with the law. And after several months, I was like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Um, and so that's when we decided, listen, you know, he's, he didn't have a manager, he needed a manager. I was at a point in my career where I felt like I could offer that, which is so much more than legal services. It just yeah. really encompasses the whole scope of someone's career, even down to their calendar. Um, you know, I chatted with him earlier today about shifting the session in his calendar. So it's- um, You're you that hands-on. Like I am that hands-on. Yeah, I'm that hands-on. And um, so that's um, that's really what I do with Ocean Town Music yeah. right now is I manage uh, Mike Sonye. Um, that may grow over time. But as of right now, you know, my legal practice is is busy and it's, con it's uh, constantly growing. So I don't um, have the time to take on more management. Even earlier today, actually, I had a discussion with a local producer that wanted uh, a manager and we kind of chatted about well, how that might work over time. So I'm very mindful of not stretching myself too thin. Right. I'm very, very busy with my legal practice and I meet way too many managers that have way too many clients. And so I don't want to be um, a manager uh, one of these days that has like five or six clients and mm -hmm. I just can't service them and I'm only chatting with them once a month or something. If I'm managing a client, I want to be um, you know, incredibly hands-on um, because you know you're getting a a decent commission off of their their income, yeah. off of their career, and so you, I, I'm a firm believer that you really need to add value and work for that. Yeah. So that's what I do with Ocean Town Music right now. Do yeah. Mo most managers, do they want like? Is it ideal to have only two or three clients? Like you don't want to have like ones that you've met, some managers you've met and ran into. Are there some that just have a ridiculous amount and they are stretched too thin and maybe not having that value add that you're talking about. And ultimately the the talent is uh, is gonna pay on that one. Yeah, no, it, it depends. I mean, I think there are a lot of managers right now that are stretched too thin. Yeah. Um, I think there are a lot of managers that didn't intend to be stretched too thin, um, but then ultimately uh, became stretched too thin as they started taking on more and more clients. Yeah, Every manager has to figure out their happy medium, I yeah. guess, between um, ensuring that they've got a decent roster, but ensuring they're not stretching themselves too thin. I also appreciate that, you know, uh, managers that are only doing management, career managers are only typically getting paid when their clients are getting paid. And so if you've only got one or two clients and, you know, let's just say they're performing artists and they're um, at a point in time in their career where they're um, not touring, they're, they're past their last album cycle, and they're maybe taking five or six months off, well, guess what? 
I mean, that manager may not be getting um, any revenue from that artist because it's a downtime for that particular and artist. they're still so, managing them, I'm assuming, too, so they're still working. Sure, yeah. they're still working, yeah. um, even during those periods where there might not be income. So I'm listen, I'm mindful of that as well, that managers, uh, if you are a career manager, it's it's a tough market. It's tough to make a living out of it. So you need to have enough, sometimes you need to have enough um, clients so you can pay the rent, pay your bills. Yeah. Um, if you're a manager that's incredibly lucky and manages like Taylor Swift or Ed Sheeran, I would imagine you're probably okay um, not having too many yeah. other clients to hey, deal Taylor with. Hey, Taylor, who's that? What's <laughs> name? So um, like yeah. if, as we, as we wrap this up, if, if you know, you you don't want to have too many folks. You got to be mindful of your schedule. We're like that. We spread ourselves too thin, or you're taking files yeah. that you're chewing yeah, yeah. chewing glass on, and and they're not the most mm. productive uh, for you. But but who is the one person who, if they call you, you are you are finding the time, you are making the time, and and you can either be a surprise local artist or or a Taylor Swift or a Prince of the World. Um, but who who is that one person who you say, yep, yeah, I don't even need to look. I'm, oh, take, wow. I'm taking you on, and I will move mountains. Yeah, and it could be anybody. As oh, a it could be client. anybody. Um, you know, this name popped in my head right away, and it's just as uh, I think probably one of my all-time favorite musicians and just people in the industry, and that's uh, Dave Grohl. If Dave Grohl, if Dave Grohl called me, <laughs> oh yeah, I would probably do the same. I'm not even. I couldn't even have the skill. I'd just be like, <laughs> for sure. If Dave Grohl asked me um, to play drums in his project, if he asked me to manage him. If you ask me to do all that stuff for free, I probably I probably would. <laughs> but that's um that's just such an obvious answer though because uh, Dave Grohl is Dave Grohl. Um, but locally, um, I don't know. I'd have to uh, you know I'll, I'll, I saw Dan Mangan play at Rebecca Cohen a few nights ago with my wife, and he's just a mind blowing songwriter, performer, artist. Um, and if Dan Mangan gave me a call and said, hey, I want to work with you, I need a manager, I would say, yes, absolutely, Dan, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Dan, if you're listening, so you now need to pick the phone up, okay? <laughs> call, we, call. Just, just get on uh, onto Cox and Palm's website there, and, and uh, then he'll, we gonna, where do you represent him, though? You take him on as a legal client or with Ocean Town? Wh whatever he whatever wants. He <laughs> whatever, he, whatever he wants. What do you whatever want, man? Okay. Do, do you see, uh, like, going forward down the future, I know you're, you're in your legal practice, but... Um, do you see it, you know, down the road where management kind of becomes more like right now you said legal is about 80%, but then maybe it starts to flow more towards the management side down the road. Um, we'll see. I mean, I, I not anytime soon yeah. uh, as of right now, I love the legal work I do. I love, uh, working at Cox and Palmer. They've been uh, massively supportive of what I'm doing in entertainment and uh, my legal practice continues to to grow. I'm very fortunate, and lucky. Yeah. So, um, not anytime soon. Uh, my legal practice is is uh, you know I always want to make sure that I have time to to um, um, act for for those clients. But maybe down the road for sure. Yeah. Right now, I love the balance I have. Right now, yeah. I love the work I do with Mike. Um, um, it, it is a, a you know a lot of work, um, time consuming endeavor for sure. But it doesn't take away from my my legal practice. So. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll we'll come back in maybe a few years' time, and we can have uh, that conversation yes. to see where I am. It'll be a lot grayer. Well, Matt, this has been great, and uh, the the socials there. You give yourself a plug. Um, I'm I'm assuming there is some music. Are you still publishing stuff that people can access, or well, tell people where you want them to go. I'll give you some freedom. Sure, you got I, another six hours. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, I, I'm I'm I try to be fairly active on Instagram, and I post uh, a lot of uh, legal kind of content through Instagram. So you can follow me um, at Ocean Town Music. Um, and uh, folks can email me anytime at my uh, email address with Cox and Palmer. That's mgorman at coxandpalmer.com. Uh, you can just Google Matthew Gorman, lawyer, Halifax, and my email will pop up if you didn't get that. So um, Instagram or email. Awesome. So this was really insightful. We're so pleased that we could have you on. I never knew that those worlds would collide in, in quite the unique way that they have and, and by design as well by you, which I think is even more impressive. Yeah, it's, it's just cool to see the know more of the behind the scenes like we see it, everybody in halifax nova scotia sees it for the surface and sees if someone's kind of starting to rise up as far as a musician goes or an influencer or whatever it may be but then here behind the scenes how it all kind of works and and who's involved and for me i always just thought oh there was a manager and or there was just a lawyer but there's both and there's the record label and there's all these different moving parts and it's just it's cool to know but i i i'm a big 
entertainment buff. That's like kind of my passion. So I I could talk about this for hours about everything involved with it. So for me, I really enjoyed this. Well, we'll bring you back as we we have some guests we like to bring back on and we'll we'll put you on that list. I think there's a, as your practice develops and Ocean 10 develops, is probably is genuinely another conversation to be had. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it was an honor to be here. Happy to chat about this stuff anytime. Uh, Obviously a big passion of mine and and, I love what you guys are doing. So keep up the good work and thanks again. Thank you. Well, thank you for joining us on Matter of Facts. We'll be back next month or, yes. or at some point, and uh, we'll um, just just see where the world's going. I think we don't we we kind of stick a pin in this when we walk out the studio. We don't plan anything, and let's let's pick back up on Halifax in a month and see see where it is. Yeah, looking forward to it. And uh, as always, uh, thank you to those who tune in and and subscribe to us and follow us and and all that. Uh, If you have any questions, concerns, HalifaxPodcast at gmail dot com. You can find James and myself on LinkedIn. Um, if you have any guest suggestions or maybe you want to come on, you think you have something interesting to say, reach out. We'd be happy to have a discussion. Um, we are not a promotional platform. We though. are not promotional. I get a lot of people say, I want to come on and talk about my healthy chocolate or something. Nope, it's not what we're doing. No, well, I, no I, Arbon discussions on this podcast. Well, that's, that's my new business, man. I just want to talk about it briefly. Like, I, I got a, these chocolates I've been making at home. They call me, they call me Willy Bonka. Willy Bonka. <laughs> Willy Wanka. <laughs> Willy Wanka. Willy Wanka. Uh, Yeah, so in summary, thank you very much for tuning in to season two, episode four. Thanks to Matt. Thank you to Matt Gorman for coming on. Thank you to Terrible Drivers in Halifax for giving us a topic to discuss. And no thank you to the rising costs of absolutely everything. See you next month. Stay classy. Thank you once again for tuning in to the Matter of Facts podcast. But you can get more of us. You can subscribe on any good podcast provider. You can follow us on Instagram at Matter of Facts Podcast. And for all that great feedback and abuse, you can send it by email to HalifaxPodcast at gmail.com. And of course, you can always find James Collins and I on the internet. Please do get in touch and we look forward to seeing you next time.